Welcome to the Unexpected Leader Podcast. You're listening to Season 2. This season, we've chosen to have conversations with our younger leaders about their unexpected journeys in ministry. We're excited to share with you their stories of how God has called and used them in the lives of the people they walk with. The world that is so natural to them seems so far removed from the one in which I started out in. Their wisdom and experience is so helpful for our families of churches, and by sharing their stories, we can all move toward being better leaders and followers of Jesus in this moment in time, whether we ourselves are new to the journey or have been on it for a while. Thanks for listening in. I'm joined today in our studio with uh, Ron Scott. Ron, good to have you along. Thank you. And uh, Ron and I are joined with Keith Blair. Uh, Keith is the children's and youth pastor at The Drive, uh, formerly known as Greenwood Drive in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here. Give us a sense or a snapshot of where you're involved in ministry right now and what some of your responsibilities are. So I am the children and youth pastor at uh, The Drive Baptist Church in Fredericton. And uh, basically my roles and responsibilities include uh, ministering to those, uh, basically everyone under the age of 18 and uh, their families as well, just journeying with them alongside where they are and getting to know them. Uh, I've been there for the last two years and the, the the number of people that I've had the chance to to meet and minister to and uh, get to know over that time has, has just been a, a privilege. Uh, that's great. And Keith, over the last couple of years, not only in coming to The Drive, there's been a couple of exciting things for you happen in your personal life. Uh, one of them is that you got married and then the second would be that just this past fall, you were ordained uh, at the drive. Yeah, that is correct. Could you uh, could you just reflect on um, being ordained and that process? And uh, just why was it important for you to, to think about going on that journey and pursuing that type of a recognition? Sure, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't a, it wasn't a priority at first. Uh, when I first started my, uh, my MDiv at Acadia, Really, I just knew that God had me there for the purpose of being equipped and, and a learning process. And ordination wasn't really on my radar uh, up until the last year that I was there, which would have been 2016, 2017. And it really wasn't until then that uh, that I began to sense this this is where God's leading me. So uh, I, I took myself before the, the board and, and met with them. And it, it was just an encouraging process. It was uh, uh, an empowering process. And uh, I appreciate every moment of it. You know, you're, you're not alone in kind of saying, you know, early on, this wasn't on my radar. It wasn't a priority that the training and the education was really great and really knew that that was part of what God was inviting me to. But I'm glad that you made that decision, too, because not only is that affirmation of you uh, in what God has called you to do, but there's this beauty in the ordination process where the church says, yeah, this is this is someone that we see as a servant of God who's called to walk amongst us through the good times and the low times, through through the journeys that will go on. And we get to set this person aside uh, and recognize them in that way so that we don't only embrace them, that, that the community and the family uh, of the broader Canadian Baptists of Atlantic Canada can see that as well. So I think there's some some great beauty in that. When you were in high school and you were selecting your courses for grade 11 or for grade 12, were you kind of looking at your course curriculum and kind of saying, oh, I wish there were ministry courses here. I wish I could take Pastor uh, 1201 for my grade 12 
you know, credit? Or, you know, did you know you were being called into ministry or was it the furthest thing from your mind? I honestly had no idea that I was being called into ministry. I, when I entered into grade 12, uh, the mindset was I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a teacher. Uh, I'm going to be a middle school teacher. And, and funny enough, I ended up marrying a teacher. I knew that I wanted to work with kids and youth in some capacity. And, uh, the idea of of ministering in a church uh, was not really there, and it didn't really become evident until I began serving as a as a youth leader in the church that I was at. So, could you take us through the story uh, as you are in a volunteer capacity, and then from there moving towards further education? You mentioned that you uh, went to uh, Acadia Divinity College for your Master's of Divinity. Can you just walk us through some of those points in the story? Sure. Well, I'll start from the beginning. I mean, I grew up in Toronto, big city. I'm city boy through and through. And uh, yeah, when I graduated from high school, I was given the opportunity to serve as a as a kids leader for the grade five six group in our church, and that was really my first real opportunity to pour into a group of kids and, and minister to them and uh, get to know them and walk alongside them as as they grew in their faith. And uh, you know, it's it's funny when you're looking at uh, the the. The, the people that you're called to minister, you almost see uh, a little bit of your own journey in yourself too. Uh, so I was able to do that and I was also able to see them transition into the youth group of the church. Uh, and this is the youth group that sort of formulated my own identity as a faith-based person. So when I began serving as the youth leader uh, with this church, I got to see them and I got to journey with them and I had the incredible privilege of, of journeying with them for six or seven years. My volunteer opportunities with this church uh, just opened a lot of doors. Uh, it gave me the opportunity to serve on the volunteer team with uh, CBOQ, uh, which is our, our, our sister denomination in Ontario and Quebec. So I had a number of volunteer opportunities with them. Uh, and uh, when I finally graduated with my undergrad uh, from York University, it's a BA in psychology, it gave me the opportunity to pursue an internship with uh, with the Baptist Convention in Ontario. Uh, so that one thing led to another. Uh, I, uh, I met a guy named Dale Stairs. So we're quite familiar with who Dale Stairs is here at Crandall. He at the time was the youth and family director. And when I had a conversation with him of like what, what the next steps were, and this was all over email, uh, he's, uh, he sort of politely, gently nudged me towards Acadia Divinity College. Uh, and so I reached out to uh, Shauna, the register there, and she wonderfully answered all of the questions that I had, saying, how can we make this possible? And uh, five months later, I was I was moving out of Toronto for the first time and, and starting a master's program at Acadia. What was the move like from Ontario to, to Atlantic Canada? It was a bit of a shock, not going to lie. The difference in culture between what we have in Toronto and what we have in, in rural Nova Scotia is, uh, is, is vastly different. Uh, it's a, you know, I'd almost call it like a more relaxed pace. And, you know, here I was just ready to go at everything and just take it all in. And uh, what eventually ended up being my first paid position as a, as a youth pastor, just, uh, I don't know if it sort of inhibited me in, in the sense that like I bring all this knowledge from Toronto. At the same time, I, uh, I've had the mentality of approaching every ministry job that I've had with, uh, let me just take some time to learn. Let me just take some, some time to see, you know, how, 
how am I going to fit in here? How is, how is God calling me here? It sounds like it almost forced you to be in that posture of learning, even just from the culture shock of moving from Toronto to rural Nova Scotia. And it just forces you into this position of saying, not only do I have to kind of learn the lay of the land and the local culture, but it also puts me in this position of posture of education in other areas as well. The whole area of cultural intelligence and being aware of the culture that you're in uh, is such an important piece. So I'm glad that you were able to step back and recognize that and be able to say, this might be what happens in Toronto. How is this going to play out here? And you bring in te- you bring wisdom and experience, and but into a culture that you kind of find that spot to make that happen. Was there a moment where you felt I'm doing exactly what God has called me to in exactly the place that God has called me to? And if you if you have, what were the circumstances? Or, or maybe you haven't felt that yet. Yeah, there have been moments. And the way that I feel God has spoken to me throughout my life is, is through other people. And the, just the way that they've, they've, they've come alongside me, they've encouraged me, they've supported me. If there was ever a time where I felt like this is this is exactly where I'm supposed to be right now, the first church in which I served, without trying to speak ill of the church, I, I know that there was a lot of brokenness uh, in that church. It was uh, not an easy job to 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 be a youth pastor in in a church that you know was sort of looking for its own identity, and I knew that uh, the senior pastor uh, at the time had left leaving me and and I knew that this is this is not something like as as someone who only has one year of formal Christian education under my belt this wasn't a time where I was like you know am I going to be able to reel these guys out of the water so I I knew that and so I I made the decision to to step down from my role and it was at that time where I wasn't sure if there was another role that was going to be available to me and then uh, within a week I was called by Kenfield Baptist Church, and they were offering me a a, a part-time position uh, as youth pastor. And again, it took me a while to sort of get established there, get a lay of the land. But once I was able to to do that, like I I knew that I had found my groove. Uh, and this is this was an opportunity where I can pour into a, a a group of students here. And I knew that God had laid these people onto my heart and said, this is this is an opportunity for you to to minister them, to serve them, to get to know them, to help them find an identity in Christ. Keith, when you go back to the church in Ontario, in Toronto, that you talked about, uh, your home church, what which church was that? Uh, it was a Spring Garden Church. Yeah, shout out to Spring Garden. Obviously, your time there shaped and molded you. They gave you opportunity to be involved uh, as a young leader in the leadership training of others. Uh, how has that shaped your current ministry of how you uh, work with the young adults or the, the teens in your context? They gave me a lot of opportunities to make mistakes. So there was there, there was a lot of, okay, how do I go about this? Uh, how do I? What's the best way to minister to a uh, to to a young person who's going through, you know, this situation or that? Uh, and you know, there are times where I felt like I was I was I was flying by the seat of my pants. The youth pastor who saw me through graduation. 
uh, my own high school graduation was the one who had asked me to step in as a middle school group leader. And two years later, he had stepped down. Uh, and then in came uh, the person that I would say is one of the most, she was the person who looked at me and said, I, I believe in you. <laughs> And she started to pour into me. This is uh, this is Marilyn Muller, who who's now serving at uh, at Briarcrest as uh, part of the recruitment team, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, she she became our what we call our discipleship pastor. So she oversaw the children and youth ministry, but her main role was to pour into the the group of volunteer leaders who were serving in those and. Uh, equip them to become the almost the pastors to their uh, to to their own group of kids, and she was the one who helped me to see the giftings in myself and helped me along the journey and recognize the skills. And I just remember a conversation that we had saying, you know, I'm thinking about going into ministry, and she just looks at me and she says, "Well, you better." <laughs> so that's that stuck with me. So just another person who. Uh, who took some time to invest in me uh, as a, a as a young leader, as a as a person who just, you know, is fresh to the the Atlantic Canadian culture. Uh, I'd have to give a shout out to Renee Embry, now Renee McVicker. She was able to, you know, sort of pour into me, uh, and uh, she uh, she was the um, the youth director here at uh, here at the convention for the last five years before Dan stepped in, uh, but she was able to pour into me. Uh, as a as a person who's just getting familiarized with with Atlantic Canada, opened up with uh, all her wonderful hospitality and and the passion that she has for serving young people and and youth and and bringing community together has been uh, has been such a blessing. And you you also have a nice relationship or a kind of a cool relationship with Dave Bilby, who's at Kentville, and you referred to the fact that you had served at Kentville yeah. while you were at Acadia. You knew Dave before that, didn't you? It is it is true. When I started at uh, at CBOQ, uh, I started uh, uh, I started attending uh, Melrose Community Church in Toronto as well, uh, and that's where uh, Pastor Dave Bealby was 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 serving at the time. And he and I just uh, had some really good conversations. And uh, uh, when I told him that I was starting my MDiv at Acadia, he just smiled at me and said, "We're going to be students together." Uh, and it turns out that Dave was finishing up his uh, his Doctor of Ministry. Uh, at Acadia around the same time. And when he finished his doctor of ministry, he was also called to to be the senior pastor at, at Kenville Baptist. So he actually became my, my mentored ministry mentor. Uh, he's had an incredible influence in me as well. In this cultural moment, there are a lot of different questions that are being asked about the church, about Jesus, about how the church integrates with culture, some in culture even asking if there's relevance to the church. For you as you process or think that question through, what are some of the primary conversations or questions that you're being asked by those that you work with? Mm-hmm. Mainly being called to to working with uh, with youth and and young people, uh, I, I think one of the the things that's at the forefront of almost every discussion that we have is is the discussion on mental health, and with the, just the passing of you know the whole Bell Less Talk Day, there's you know that conversation has become to the forefront of everyone's mind just in the last five or six years or so. 
And it's a conversation that we've had at the drive constantly. And it's uh, something that uh, we address with our own youth group as well. I mean, that's such a great conversation to be having, you know, not only with youth, but I think across the board in our church. And um, just delving into that a little a little deeper, do you think the church in general is doing an okay job at the conversation or do, do we need to talk more about it? Are there specific things that you would kind of sit back and kind of say, from a thousand foot view, I wonder if we could and fill in the blank with the issue around uh, mental health? Mm-hmm. I, I think the church is doing a lot better uh, than they have. Uh, and it's it's been encouraging to see how how people are, are more upfront and more willing to discuss something like this. And I think that it's important that, that churches have that safe space to be able to welcome people in and be open about those kind of conversations. And, you know, as long as it's done in the right context, in the right way, I'm not even sure what the right way is. <laughs> it starts with being open to having those discussions in the first place. It's just in the last couple of months alone that I've been really encouraged is to, again, my own personal experience is, uh, has, been a, has been a positive one when it comes to discussing this in the church. For those who know you and follow you on Facebook, they'll be very aware that you've been quite open and honest about your own struggles uh, in your own journey with mental health. And um, I think personally, I want to thank you for, I think it's such an important topic for us to talk about. But when you think about we're getting better, but we could be doing more, it is it's about having that posture of being open to the conversation, not feeling like this is the five steps to be able to help everybody in our community, but it's at least letting people in the community know that this is a safe place to be able to talk about this. Uh, and we're going to walk with you whatever that walking will look like, because it'll be different for everybody, because we all walk different journeys. On, on that conversation of, those are the conversations you've been having that are, are prevalent. Are there conversations that you wish you were having? Can you think of a conversation or a topic that you wish that you were having more regularly with the youth in your youth group or your youth leaders, maybe with parents? Yeah, absolutely. I think given the fact that our that our society is becoming more technological, the idea of 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 online safety, of how do we process the fact that information is coming at us and at such a blinding rate, in as much that I would I would even say that it's 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 almost a contributing factor to to you know the the general sense of anxiety that we're having uh, is you know we're all of a sudden becoming more aware of all the things that are happening in this world and you know we become aware of them just the instant that they happen and a lot of the stuff that we hear online and you know it's stuff that as as pastors would break our hearts someone once told me that um, you become more like god when when your heart breaks for the stuff that breaks his heart too and you can't help but read about something every single day that that you know like if the more you know god the more that you you see that this kind of stuff breaks people's hearts how do we deal with all of that how do we process this in a way that allows us to not be overcome by you know all of the world's problems but how do we uh, how do we get into the mess that god has called us into and be Jesus' shining light in all of that. Such a fascinating conversation when thinking about how saturated we are with the news cycle, the social media norms, the technology addiction, all the things that are kind of like the undercurrent of what we're experiencing as a, as a technological society these days. And we've often wondered um, from the 30,000 foot view 
what it's doing to us, almost like rewiring our brains. And there's even uh, medical and, um, and other scientific studies coming out strongly correlating um, a breakdown in a variety of, of uh, learning developments and other, uh, other things in young people. And it's due to the, uh, the rise of social media as a norm for, um, for even younger children to be taking part in. The fact that we're putting so much just at their fingertips in a way that we've never seen before. And we don't quite know just what it's, what it's doing to us. So there is this need for pastors and church leaders to develop a cultural skill set to be able to kind of wade through those waters and be able to bring a little bit of clarity to the people that they minister to. Just because there are, I think, going to be some significant spiritual formation impacts, uh, either positively or negatively, that will be tied back to how we treat technology and and how our children and our youth groups treat technology. So I, I see that as a very relevant conversation to be having you know technology is something that is meant to be used by us and we're not meant to be used by technology absolutely it's it's something that uh, that we have to figure out a a good strong sense of balance in you know we don't find our identity in in what we post online and and how we present ourselves online or or how we're viewed online more like uh but you know we want to be able to emphasize our identity in christ uh, in a in a world that is becoming more connected through through the internet. And this is a fascinating conversation because I do think like you know as my generation so much of that seems hard to grasp on one level and I'm on the younger I mean I like to think I'm on the younger end of we won't even talk generation demographics but but I just kind of go so much of that is so hard to grasp that your identity would be tied up into your perceived value in in a digital world so I think that's that's part of it trying to grasp that and that's the cultural dynamic and norm I just think that that's so true but I'm the guy who I never even got onto Snapchat because I don't understand why I'd want my message to go because I won't remember it. When I see kids who are 10 and 11 at an elementary school that my wife kind of is a part of using TikTok as a new form of bullying, I just kind of go, it just goes to prove that regardless of what there is that's available for us to utilize, it can be used in either a really positive way or a really negative way. And it's not the technology in and of itself, but it actually goes to the heart of humanity. Yeah, we see so many things in our culture that if it is a disordered desire or a disordered love or tool used in the wrong context, then it can go very bad. I even think about in our Atlantic Canadian context, uh, we love hockey and you see some incredible ministry being done in hockey arenas and uh, with team chaplains and, and people who are in ministry who care deeply for, uh, for the players and, and other people in, who are involved. And, and they're really bringing Jesus into that. But at the same time, there could be this thing with the hockey culture where if put in the wrong order in our lives, it could become its own religion or it actually uh, can pull us away from our spiritual formation. And I don't mean to pick on hockey. Uh, oh, you're really right anything. on though. Yeah, it could be anything, right? I tell my wife it could be your scrapbooking addiction. Absolutely. Yeah. So we need to be just aware of that and, um, and always prayerfully seeking for Jesus to have his will done. As we zoom out, uh, just to look back on your 
ministry paths. Keith, what has been unexpected for you? On the downside of the the unexpected thing, the the mental strain of of the constant adjustment uh, that went from undergrad to to grad to moving away from home for the first time to you know going from ministry to ministry context, uh, you know now to full time ministry. Uh, there's been a lot of adjustment, uh, and with the adjustment comes the mental strain, and that was something that I was unexpected for. Uh, you know, it was. You sort of psych yourself up and say, "Hey, like I'm I'm ready for a new journey," but you know you don't realize on the flip side that you know there's there, there's a big adjustment that needs to be made. Um, that was that's that's sort of the unexpected downside. Now, if I were to talk about the unexpected upside, I just in the last few years alone since I moved out here to Atlantic Canada, I've had the privilege of hearing so many stories, uh, hearing so many uh, about so many people's journeys of how uh, they've they've come to know God, of how they've journeyed uh, in in their own faith. And being able to 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 listen to some of the questions that people are asking uh, when it comes to being a Christian in the Atlantic Canadian culture. And being able to stop and say, even I'm not sure yet, because I didn't grow up here. I'm discovering this for myself. So this is something that we can do together. We often wonder how things could be different uh, on our journey. Things that we're glad we did and took the risk at, and then there are some things that we wish we had have done that we didn't do, and maybe live with some regret. But if you look over you know, the last number of years and you go back to a younger Keith, back to high school, early university, what are some of the things that you might give yourself as advice? Be patient. I struggled in my undergrad because I was always constantly wondering what was next. Uh, what's the next chapter? What happens? What happens after I'm done? When you know, it finally took a conversation that I had with uh, someone that you know. Unfortunately, we haven't kept in touch. But you know, again, God speaks to me through through the people around me, and this was just the one occasion where where I remembered him speaking to me so clearly, focus on the now, focus on the blessings that are around you now, uh, focus on the opportunity that you have now. And I, I promise you that I will reveal to you the next step along the journey when you're ready, when you're, when you're properly equipped. You know, there was a time where I can look back and say, learn to appreciate where you are and where God has you right here, right now, and then take each step forward as, as a blessing. Keith, we want to thank you for taking time to sit down with us and do this podcast. I really appreciate uh, so much about your story and your journey, uh, how God's using you uh, with the youth at, at The Drive, uh, but also just your uh, word about um, mental health and about the need to open up that dialogue and the conversation. Uh, grateful for that. And so thank you so much for coming by and joining Ron and I at The Unexpected Leader. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Unexpected Leader podcast from the Canadian Baptist of Atlantic Canada. We're a family of over 450 churches and organizations joined together with the mission of joining God in our neighborhoods. We're praying this will be an encouraging, stimulating resource for you wherever you're at on your own journey. You might also be considering whether God is unexpectedly calling you as a leader. And if that is you, we invite you to head over to www.yourcalling.ca and check out the content we've created just for you. Again, that website address is www.yourcalling.ca. Let's do some random questions with Keith. 
We haven't okay. done this with others before, but sure. I think I want to do a couple of random questions oh, for with Keith. You ready? Okay. <laughs> Best sporting moments. Uh, Raptors winning the NBA championship or the Toronto Maple Leafs drafting Austin Matthews? Oh, I am a hardcore Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Uh, and those who know me will know that about me. Uh, and as 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 much of a blessing as it was to see Austin Matthews, we didn't really know of his potential until six months down the road when he scored those four goals. Um, but despite the fact that I'm that that I am a passionate Leafs fan, I know that I've been a Raptors fan for longer because my mother used to take us to to the, my myself and my two brothers to to games all the time back when Vince Carter was playing and tickets were as cheap as ten bucks. Uh, so, you know, I feel like I've been a Raptors fan all my life and seeing them win the championship last year has, was, was pretty exciting. Man, that was more of a dilemma for you than I thought. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Jello or pudding? I'm, I'm a weird, I'm going to, I'm going to say jello on that one. Uh, winter or summer? Summer. Uh, who makes a better dumpling, your mom or your mother-in-law? Ooh, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, my mother doesn't really like to cook, with the exception of Christmas Eve, uh, and she cooks a she pr cooks a pretty good roast beef. Um, in in terms of dumplings, uh, you know, I I don't know if I've ever seen my mom make a dumpling, so uh, I'll have to give that one to my mother in law. Okay. Expensive and coffee or cheap coffee? I'm a Starbucks person through and through. Okay. I worked for Starbucks for two years, actually. Okay, he's yeah, the wow. Starbucks guy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Still has your apron. Do you still have your apron? I do. Yep, I do.